Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to Out With, the podcast taking you beyond the headlines and beyond our borders. I'm Halla Mohideen. Now, we are coming to you from Scotland, uh, a country that's, that's quite keen to tout our renewable energy credentials. In fact, uh, around about the time of us recording this podcast, there's a big fanfare being made of the fact that Scottish Power, one of the energy companies here, uh, has become the first company to go totally renewable. Um, and it did so by selling off its coal-fired power stations, but it is now committed to totally renewable energy. We're very big on renewables here in Scotland, which is great. But are we, in fact, in some instances, the polluters and not the pioneers? Now, Indigenous communities in Australia have been fighting to prevent nuclear waste from Scotland being dumped next to their Aboriginal land. It's a prolonged fight and one that's still not over yet. Now, to find out more, I am joined in person, very special edition this is, uh, we've got a real live person in the kitchen with us. Um, this is James McEnany. He's a writer and a lecturer uh, based here in Glasgow. James, welcome to the podcast and welcome to the kitchen. It's Thank great you very to much. have you. Thank you for having me in both of them at once. That's good. <laughs> it's very nice. Now, your day job is education. You're, you're a lecturer, yeah. you're a teacher. Um, you're known also in Scotland for your work on freedom of information requests. So that's heckling the Scottish <laughs> government. We all need a hobby. It's a great yes. one to have. So how did you how did you go from there to being involved in a story about a situation ten thousand miles away? Um, kind of by accident is the honest uh, the honest answer. So this, the story was brought to me um, by someone called Gary Cushway, who is an Australian. Um, joint Australian-UK citizen, lives in Glasgow, and um, he, I remember he kind of brought it to me and said, you might be interested in this, and I think it was because I, at that point, was writing quite regularly for Common Space, and I'd written a piece about uh, Australia Day, and sort of looking at the, the other the other side of Australia Day, so it's obviously it's celebrated as, you know, when Australia came to be, but um, for a whole other part of that country, it's not Australia Day, it's, it's Survival Day, it's, it's so it's um, that that has all come from when I was fifteen. I was very very lucky. Um, my school organised this this four week trip to Australia, one of these kind of world challenge, you know, fundraise, go out there for a month and go and do some stuff type of things. So we went to Australia and travelled around Australia and did the usual the usual things, saw Sydney and stuff. But the bit that had the big impact was we stayed with the Aboriginal community next to Uluru, Mutajula, and that's one of that has proven to be one of the formative experiences um, of my life. So I've always retained a bit of an interest in particularly the way the, the, the Aboriginal people in Australia have been, I was going to say treated, mistreated, I suppose is probably a, a better word. And just because of that, when Gary brought me the story, I was just immediately, like, immediately into it. So I think I wanted something about it out there. It was honest, I, I mean, I said at the time, it was a bit of a privilege, although it was a, a horrible thing to be writing about, um, it was a privilege to be able to write something about that side of Australia and to maybe do something for the, the, the people who live there. So, so what's going on here? We understand that, and, and I, know, I know you wrote a story, a, an article about this about a year ago. Yeah. And um, I haven't heard a lot about it in the press. It didn't really get picked up very much. But now I think the Australian press are starting to, uh, to get their teeth into it yeah. a bit. But what's going on? This nuclear waste from Scotland that's getting sent to Aboriginal lands. Kind, well, kind of. Um, so back in the 90s, 1996, um, Australian nuclear waste was sent to Dunray in the north of Scotland to be 
uh, to be processed so that it could be sort of dealt with and then sent back um, within 25 years. However, um, a few years ago, the Scottish and the UK governments came to an agreement that it wouldn't need to be the same waste that would go back to Australia, that they would substitute it for waste in Sellafield because the waste from Sellafield could be vitrified. Um, so it's turned into a sort of glass-like substance, as far as I understand it. So the, the situation just now is that at some point in the coming couple of years, the proposal is for material from Sellafield, which is sort of of an equivalent um, of an equivalent quantity, um, to be sent back to Australia in place of the material that was sent here, that was sent to Dunray for the original processing. Right, so, in, so the deal was, we'll send your stuff, you clean it, and then we'll take it back after 25 years. Aye. And it's kind of mutated into this thing, we'll send you X amount of stuff and we'll give you X amount of stuff back. Yeah, aye. you sent us, like as I say, X amount of, of this kind of thing. We'll send you X amount of this similar thing with similar properties back. We've changed it a bit. Yes. Um, I, think the, the, I think the argument on the vitrified material is it's a bit safer to transport. Um, so this is how they came to this agreement of we would sort of the substitution agreement they call it um, ignore the stuff in Dunray and send some from Sellafield instead. Although one of the points that was raised to me actually um, earlier on today was um, the material that the Australians originally sent wasn't from like, weapons-based nuclear material. Um, a lot of it was medical. Uh, whereas from Sellafield, you don't really know what it is. It could be all sorts of different things. Um, so that's for some people, that's part of the issue, I suppose, is maybe the origins of it. But ultimately, yeah, this, that's the, the story. 1996, sent here, swapped over, now theoretically getting sent back. I guess my question is, why is it getting sent halfway across the world in the first place? Yeah, so um, this thing about it was sent to Dunray because Dunray was taking in waste to process it. And the contract was signed, it was sent up here. We would, we, that was a job that was being done, you know. Um, got a contract, sorting it out, and, and away it goes again. The reason it, um, it has to go back is because of the, the Euratom directive has kind of built into it that when waste or nuclear material is sent either to or from an EU country or between EU countries and third parties, that country retains ultimate responsibility for it. So even though it was sent here at first, then under that EU directive, it has to go back to Australia where it came from in the first place. What happens next year, now we think about it, I'm not actually entirely sure. Um, that might be the next thing I need to put to people is, you know, if, if we're not involved in Eurotom all of a sudden, <laughs> does that still stand? But that was certainly the rationale for it at, at that point. And it's not only Scotland, there's, um, there's Australian waste in different places. There's definitely some in France that will need to go the theory will need to go back at some point as well. Um, so it's not as if this is like you know a, a one-off or anything. This, this is like a, this is part of the, the nuclear industry. Well, because this is crazy when you start thinking about the nuclear industry, and you don't think about it really. I mean, we, yeah. we don't. <laughs> it's just you know you, you flick the switch, yeah, the lights way. go on. <laughs> well, I mean, you could argue that's okay. You flick the switch, the lights go on. I used to live in France, and in France, most of your energy is nuclear. Mm -hmm. They have embraced nuclear wholeheartedly. They've no worries about it at all. Everything's nuclear. But, you know, at the end of that process, you're left with this very toxic, hazardous yeah. stuff. And the fact that there is this industry that's going on where it's all being packaged <laughs> up and popped on a plane and flown tens of thousands of miles around the world is just, I mean, it must be safe, No. Well, I mean, one of the things, one of the issues that was raised with this with this material, so that when the consultation was carried out in, I think it was end of 2012, um, 
one of the concerns that was raised about it was that ultimately, you know, m moving this material will always incur greater risks than, than not moving this material. So one of the things, I think it was Shetland Council had said this at the time, that like they didn't consider it to be safe to be moving this stuff all over the place and, and, and creating more and, and one of the issues with these kind of substitution agreements is potentially that, that you create more and more of these links in the chain. Um, and that ultimately that that creates more chance of things of things going wrong. I am sure that you know nuclear experts would be able to explain this is exactly why transferring this vitrified material to this place, and these are all the these are the systems in place to make sure that it's that it's okay. Um, but at the same time, as you say, you're still left with this situation where nuclear material seems to be getting like you know crisscrossing around the world. To like we'll generate it here, we'll treat it over here, we'll do it this, and we'll do that. And at the end of the day, and this is the issue in this case without really um, knowing what you're doing at the end of it. Because that's what's caused this problem is like, it's not as if Australia sent it to us think, and knowing that at the end of this process, here's where it'll go. You know, that's, that's exactly the problem is they still don't know where it'll go. So, 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 so talk to us about this case in question because it has been rumbling on for quite some time yeah. now. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, you were writing about this over a year ago. Yeah. So Australia had this deal in place and I'm sure there's many other deals that are floating around. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, All over the world, I'm yeah. I'm scared to look out my window now in case there's truckloads <laughs> of like radioactive glass getting loaded on a plane somewhere. Um, so Australia signed this deal. They are going to um, ship a load of uh, nuclear waste. And we... And it's interesting you said that nuclear could be like old X-ray material. Yeah, everybody so assumes it's, it's nuclear weapons and stuff like that. It's not always that. So, there are various sources of, of nuclear material, so certainly. This yeah. nuclear material, um, for whatever shape or form, is going to get packaged up and sent over to Dunry, who had decided this is our new income stream or whatever. Let's get into the business of cleaning up process this, waste. yep. Fab. So far, so good. It's going, it's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's travelling a bit of a distance, but we're getting there. It's all been packaged up. Now it has to go back. Or a quantity of waste, be it from Dunray or yep. Sellafields, is going back. Yes. Where is it going? So this is the issue. Um, as it stands, so the material is, it will go back and it will be taken to a facility um, near Sydney at first. But the Australian government is currently in the process of trying to um, have approved and then build... Uh, what they are, rather euphemistically, I feel, calling an interim facility for the storage of, of the material. They've tried two places previously and failed to get approval because Indigenous communities have fought them every every step of the way. And now they have ultimately two, two more locations in mind, both of which are once again being opposed by, by Indigenous communities. The one that was in my story is a place called Wallarbadina, um, near the, the Flinders Range, the other place is called Kimba. They're both in South Australia. Um, and they are both in areas which are either immediately adjacent to or actually on land, which is, which is uh, it's, it's, it's tricky because you want to say, and it's a kind of Western thing, you want to say is, you know, look, that is a sacred bit of land, but that's not really the way to think about it. Um, it's that the land is, is so vital to them, that I remember thinking about this when I was in Australia, one of the sort of Aboriginal people trying to explain this thing, when they, were, they took us down to, to Oru and they were shown as a part of it you don't usually get to see, and was trying to explain to us why it matters so much to them, and eventually saying, like, you're not going to be able to understand it because you're not from this kind of culture. You'll never really be able to get understand the way we feel about the land, which I, which I get, and, and I think that it makes sense. Um, but it leaves us in this situation now where you have the Australian government trying to find a way to, to make it okay to build a, a waste dump um, 
on or near protected Indigenous lands? Because when you think of Australia, and I'm, I'm no expert in Australia at all, the only thing I know about it is it's big. Mm. You know, it's far away and it's Continent-sized country, yes. It is, because yeah. you look at it on a map and you think, oh, it's kind of titchy. You know, where's Ramsey Street? Like, uh-huh. Where's Neighbours? You know, <laughs> it's this it's tiny thing. And then, you know, what a friend of mine was saying, well, you know, it's actually not that small. It takes at least six hours to fly across it or four hours or something. And you're like, yeah. that's pretty huge. But we drove that's across it and it was a couple of weeks by the time we'd gone there, stopped at each day and kind Which of got from the bottom to the top. I mean, it is enormous. It's absolutely enormous. It's absolutely yeah. enormous. And so you would think, again, with you know a place that's that's enormous, there must be some space somewhere to do this. Yeah, it depends on your definition of some space, I suppose. Yes. Um, to the Australian government, it seems that some space is just anywhere that their sort of infrastructure isn't. Um, so what looks... But this, this is the thing. So what looks to them or to us like some big wide open space with nothing on it, uh-huh. that's not what necessarily what it is. And this is this ultimately this is what causes the problem. This is what's caused the problem for for, for generations now. Um, this is this goes back to things like Britain testing nuclear weapons in Australia um, on and near uh, the lands of indigenous communities and not even telling them, never mind asking them. Um, it goes back to Australia essentially imposing uranium mining on indigenous communities and destroying huge swathes of land that were really important to them that they needed because we don't understand their view of, of the land that they live on, because, frankly, it isn't ours, it's theirs. But that, 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 that problem's never been resolved. It's never going to be resolved at this rate, but it's now leading, the state we're in now is that we are about to become... I nearly said complicit, we're already deeply complicit in it. We're about to become even more complicit in the latest stage of it, is the way I would maybe try and reframe this. Now... The Scottish government likes to, you know, I can't imagine this is something that the government would be happy with. No, no. So, you know, if... What, what would their response be? Because I'm sure you've put this to them, you know, but, you know, essentially, waste that had come into Scotland, the part of the bargain that is we're giving you the waste back, <laughs> if it's going to, to be built on, on lands where Indigenous people, you know, they, they deem those lands sacred... Yeah. I mean, does that not cause a problem? Does that not prevent the, 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 this transfer going back? One, one would think so. Some people may, may think so. That doesn't seem to be the position of the Scottish or certainly not the UK governments. Mm-hmm. Which, as you say, I, I, I'm not saying that. I don't believe for a second that, you know, Nicola Sturgeon is, is sitting, sitting at home kind of thing. If she, I mean, if, if she read about this sort of a year ago, kind of, I don't care about you know, Australian average, it's, it's not that, but there is this kind of sense that, I remember the statements kind of coming back, you know, was the kind of formal statement you would expect, you know, the rights of Indigenous communities must be protected, etc., etc. But ultimately the position is that this stuff's going back to Australia and it's up to them what they do with it. But that, I think, kind of goes to, goes to the heart of a lot of the problem here because ultimately that position is one of us sort of washing our hands of the consequences of it. And we wouldn't do that in other situations. We for, we wouldn't we don't do that, for example, if we are transferring a, a prisoner to a country where we might be worried that they might be mistreated or where they might be tortured, where they might face the death penalty, for example. So that fundamentally, this idea that you know a, a person or or an item or a quantity of nuclear material goes back to some place where it came from and what happens there is not our problem. I don't really think that holds that 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 argument really holds under an awful lot of interrogation. So the, the sort of Scottish government position, as I say, of, you know, we've put the concerns to, 
to the relevant organisations, and we, we think that in, rights of Indigenous people should be should be protected. Um, it's easy to say it, but I think, and one of the things when I'm writing at the time, speaking to some of the campaigners who brought me the information, was that was kind of their view that you know anyone can say that, but unless you're prepared to actually try and do something about it, then it's and the, the person it's the people that really have no comfort to are people like Regina McKenzie, who's the um, the Aboriginal woman who lives on the land adjacent to where one of these sites is going to be built, who explicitly in a statement asked Scotland to try to do something to protect her home. And what was the, what was the response to this woman? There is the response as, as the official response. You know, the contract has been signed, the material has to go back. You know, Australia will deal with this and, and we're sure it's okay. It's, it's, I suppose ultimately it comes down to a sort of, you know, it'll go back to Australia and we are sure Australia will do the right thing and Australia won't do anything that will impinge on the rights of its, uh, of its Indigenous people. You would have to know literally nothing about the history of Australia to think that that's likely to be the case. No, no, I don't. Well, I don't know the I, I don't know the backgrounds uh, to this or, or the struggles. But is there not more awareness now of, of of issues of land and of land rights and of you know because otherwise they would have just built this thing and not had any consultations in the first place? Yeah, I mean, there's there's um, is it a bit better than it was fifty or hundred or two hundred years ago? Well, yeah, but it's a hell of a low bar um, when you when you're looking at it like that. So I mean, Indigenous Australians are still their kids are more likely to go to jail than finish high school. For example, um, we're not talking about a situation here where, like you know, historic wrongs have been righted and now everything's going to be okay. Um, that Gary, who who was the person who who brought me all this, and I went back to him um, and said this, and I was like, you know, in terms of it going back, ultimately, what does it come down to? And his response was quite simple. He said, the Australian government can't be trusted not to impinge upon the rights of its indigenous population. And if that happens with material that's been shipped from the UK, then we once again become complicit in that. And people should be prepared to look at that situation head on with a bit of a reckoning, not just for, for that. See, there's, a, there's a historic reckoning due on this as well in, in, in the UK and in Scotland, but people should be prepared to look at that head on. And if they think it's okay, then at least say that it's okay on those terms. I guess it's difficult when this is a contract that was has been, you know, signed a while ago. And I imagine when the contract was signed and they're like, we're getting rid of this waste, it's going to come back safer, then people were, mm -hmm. were happy with that. And it's difficult to to argue against it coming back at all now, given that, you know, it, that was an agreement in place. Yes. And I, I guess for me, it's the... The question is, I mean, because if someone said to me, I'm going to build a, a facility next to your house, whether yeah. or not I'm a, you know, I have... Um, you know, a, a particular tie towards that land, a spiritual tie mm -hmm. towards this land or not. I don't have any spiritual tie towards this land, but I don't want to live next to a nuclear, um, you know, reprocessing yeah. facility. That's uh -huh. just, and I, I can't think of that many people who would want to. So there isn't always a, a case of, you know, no the, one's going to want this backyard place. thing, yes. Not in my backyard. Yes. So it's, you know, that's understandable. Like, yes. So, so, so where do you send it? Well, I mean, th this waste in particular, um, the stuff at Dune Ray is a relatively small quantity. The argument that was made by Shetland Council at the time was, given the relatively low quantity of it, the thing to do is, and given that we, can, we, can, we are treating it here and can handle it here, their argument at the time, and an argument I've heard from several people, um, I think one of the things put forward from Friends of the Earth, although I'm happy to be corrected on that if anyone from Friends of the Earth is listening, but I'm, I'm sure I remember that from the original part of this as well, was saying, you know what, this stuff specifically just deal with this here. Australia's going to have to pay to transport all this stuff anyway. They're going to have to pay to build... The, treat this stuff here. Don't make us complicit in what Australia may or may not do with it and just go back to Australia and 
change the deal. The deal has been changed already once. The deal was changed a few years ago when it went from we're sending you back the stuff that you sent us to we're sending you back this other stuff with this kind of fancy you know, radioactive glass. So if you can change the deal once, if, if you can negotiate on those kinds of terms, then I think given the ethical imperative of this kind of situation, that would be the argument. On a more general sense, what do you do with it? Well, that's exactly the point, isn't it? That this, uh, sort of, um, no matter your view around sort of nuclear power, that sort of view that you know we'll deal with it down the road is always likely, I would argue, to end with people, um, people who, who don't exercise power in society being the one, regardless of the society we're talking about, being the ones most likely left having to deal with it. It, this kind of stuff is never ever going to end up in, you know, the, the affluent boroughs of Glasgow or something like that. I mean, it, it's, it was, it's only ever going to end up somewhere that, let's face it, you know, pretty rich people, which includes us, think it's far enough away from them. Um, but again, you know, is, is, that really a, is that really the solution, you know, to just continue looking for places that we think are far away? Because remote is, of course, always a very relative term. Um, we're going to put it somewhere remote means we're going to put it somewhere far away from the things that we think are important, but quite often far away from what we think is important is exactly where other, the most important things in the world are for other people. It's just they don't have the voice that we have, and they don't have the power that the people like us have got. Um, and, that's, that's, and that's what I've always thought is one of the interesting things about, about this story. Um, so for me, it was, the, it was the link to Indigenous Australia that, that brought me into it, but I think it it might be, I think it's maybe quite a useful way for people to look at the issue of nuclear and of, of nuclear power. And, you know, nuclear power arguably is, is it a possible solution to, or a part of the solution to climate change, as, as the French seem to think it is. Um, how do we move forward with the existing waste that we have? Well, part of doing that honestly and doing it fairly is considering the people who are, who have already lost out from generations of being sidelined and who would continue to lose out if the view simply becomes we just need to get it away from people who are more likely to complain about it, i.e. people like us, yes. <laughs> with microphones and things. Excellent. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm reassured that there's not going to be a nuclear processing plant next to me. Thank well, you very yet, much, James. You know. <laughs> well, not yet, as long as I have my microphone. No, and, and, and I say, no, it is a serious point, but again, I come back to the... The point, I mean, I don't think, and, you know, the, are the Australian government being malicious about this? We want to poison the Aboriginal, Aboriginal no, people? No, because, no, I, you know, it's, they have this problem, they have this contract, they have this nuclear waste that they have created. Mm -hmm. They have to fulfil their contractual obligations. Yes, yes, they do. You know, yes. um, where are we going to put it? You're not going to put it in downtown Sydney. You're not going to put it next to the... Well, it's going to start in Sydney, um, <laughs> but it's going to shift, it's going to shift it out there eventually. <laughs> no, that's absolutely the case, but I think I'd always kind of go back to this thing about, like, you know, we wouldn't... Um, we rightly would not transport uh, a prisoner, um, no, matter what, you know, no matter what they'd done. We wouldn't transport a human being um, to another country knowing that they were about to be tortured. Right. So I guess, but so where would you put it? I mean, this is this is this is where the you know this this is what it boils down to. You know, should we be making these deals in the first place? I mean, should people be sending stuff to, to these to these processing plants? Is this is this flawed from the start? Yeah, I suppose that would be the that would be your environmentalist argument against nuclear power fundamentally, wouldn't it? Um, which is not, I mean, I, 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 I or sh is Dunray better place to to handle this kind of stuff than say Australia would be? I, see, I, I think you know if the environmentalist argument would be that this is ultimately always going to be one of the problems of dealing with 
nuclear mm. waste. People who there are, you're always going to get people who would be quite happy to have nuclear power plants operating, but mm. the second that anything that is even vaguely like nuclear waste comes anywhere near their lives, they're going to be, go absolutely ballistic and demand it goes somewhere else. And the somewhere else is always, always, always going to be to uh, you know to, to poor people, to people with with little say, to alienated people, to indigenous communities, to people like that. And we should be honest about that. We should be right. honest that that is going to be part of the issue. That is that that that. That the, the challenge for me, I remember this when I was in high school talking about that kind of thing, and it always came down to that. But you know, if you're looking at nuclear power, the issue was always, you know, you call it clean energy. Well, yeah, but what do you do with the stuff at the end? Yeah. And if we still haven't solved that now, to the point where it's, you know, 2018, and we are sitting here talking about nuclear waste finding its way from Dunray slash Sellafield back to Australia to next to the home of, of an indigenous community, that we then become part of that process, you know, it rather suggests that we haven't actually resolved anything about yes. how, we, how we deal with nuclear power. So there are other stories in there, but yeah, I think you'd probably, all, you'd always come back to that, I'm, as I said, by no means, a, as, as you said, I'm an education person and I'm an FOI, uh, an FOI sender, but um, <laughs> not by, uh, any sort of expert in nuclear decommissioning or anything like yes. that. Um, my interest in it comes from that, that sort of angle of looking at what does it tell us about people, I suppose, and I think there's always that, that willingness to put something out of sight, out of mind, even if out of sight for us is actually right in the sight of people who, who just don't have the, the privileges of the power that we've got. So let's talk about the people in question. Now, your article was published a year ago, um, the follow-up's been done since, Um yeah, this is ongoing, as I mentioned, at the Australian press is now funny starting the, to pick yeah, it up. Yeah, the Australian thing is kind of funny, though, because the Australian press has picked it up as it's um, it, this, this, it's because, their issue with it seems to be, it's very odd, that it's because it's been exchanged. So they were talking about it as, this is foreign-generated nuclear waste, and we were promised this would never be sent to Australia to be, to be dumped in our land. Yes. Um, so it's a kind of odd, I've been kind of reading that quite incredulously, to be honest. Yeah. Like, so it'd, it'd be okay to dump this stuff in, on Regina and her family if it was the stuff that you had generated in your particular power station. Yeah. But it's certainly it's been picked up in Australia now that the, the campaign against the, the, the sites that have been proposed is, is therefore get a bit more coverage. But I mean, um, even, even at that, I think I was kind of reading some, back some of the emails I've seen going back and forth with some of the campaigners and some of the media groups and stuff like that. And just one of them struck me where, I mean, it was talking about the Australian newspaper having, having covered it, or the Australian, you know, yeah. and the, the email from somebody was, wow, you managed to get the Australians to cover this, well done. And I'm reading that like, what the hell, you know? Like, how is this not, how is this not some massive story? Yeah. But it seems to be their issue with it is this idea that it's, uh, foreign generated waste that right. the, the, the exchanged material is the problem because there's some sort of I don't know political agreement over there that says that they won't become a dumping ground for nuclear waste in the outback or something which would be a reasonable concern if you weren't then just going to dump it on a bit of the outback that happened to be somebody else's you know? right <laughs> so we're still stuck with this nuclear yeah, waste uh -huh, this, this, we're this still answer, stuck yes. with the nuclear waste but yep. there is a bit of opposition to it coming back there is a bit of opposition to it coming back the the aboriginal communities are starting to to have this knock back in the courts is that is that is that because one of the things in terms of indigenous rights is that um hazardous materials should never be deposited on the land of indigenous communities without their um express free and uh, informed consent Right. Um, express free and informed consent is something which does not include any sort of, you know, hassling from the government, any sort of, you know, well, listen, it'll need to be here, any sort of bribery to try and get it to go through, you know. Um, so the issue 
in terms of where the material goes is, and actually I would argue is quite rightly, not particularly the concern of the indigenous communities are fighting against having it having it in the land because they're never the ones who benefited from it in the first place. It's not as if we're talking it's it's not like necessarily the same as like, you know, the the, the people who are quite happy to have the, the nuclear power giving them cheap electric in their homes and their cities and then complain about what happens to the waste. Mm. You can't you can't um you can't sort of transpose that criticism onto these onto these communities because they've not been affected by it in the same kind of way. They didn't get the benefits from that kind of technology that it tested on them for long enough. Um, they, they were they were subject to say the British nuclear test in the fifties and stuff like that. They've been subject to the uranium mining. But they as I say, I think rightly and understandably, they don't want their land poisoned. They don't want land that is a part of them and that is absolutely vital to everything about how they see the world that is absolutely critical to their whole their whole way of life in a way that we just don't we just don't get really. Um they don't want us to just dump that on them. They don't want the Western world, which is not something that they necessarily feel a part of, to just dump the, the consequences of this poisonous technology on them. And I, I, you know, I find it hard to disagree with them, to be honest. So, so they're fighting that on their community level. They're going through courts and stuff to try and knock back each uh, the, these proposals yeah, so the, to get it built. Yes, yeah, so there's just been a thing where there was a, a down in, in, in Kimba, on, one of the, on the other site that's been looked at, um, not the one that I've been writing about, where the uh, Indigenous groups had managed to get a court order to stop a consultation process that was about to begin mm -hmm. on the basis that they weren't part of it. Right. So, <laughs> you know... Um, Which is fair enough. Because they, they there was some technicality that, that the government said, oh, well, the thing is, they technically live outside of this specifically defined area, and this local government law says that we can only ask the people here, so we weren't allowed to ask them what they think, and it's that way you can, yeah, you can, you can justify anything in these kind of terms, right? But yes. actually... It, there comes a point, I mean, what was it said this, you know, there comes a point where everyone must choose sides. Uh, that's how you stay human. There does come that, with these kind of issues, you know, there comes a point where you need to accept that maybe there is a right and a wrong there. Okay. Um, and so these communities are trying to fight for for what they think is, is the right thing, which is to protect their lands, to protect their communities, which have been under attack for, well, well since, uh, since what we call Australia Day, I suppose. So, well, well, that's the, so that's what's happening there. In terms of I mean, this waste is still is is still in the UK. Right now, it's in, well. The original stuff's in Dunray, and the, the other stuff's in Dunray. The the, the, the the special glass, whatever it is, is in Sellafield just now. Yes. It's. I mean, is there anything else that you know? I mean, is is there an argument for? I guess for keeping it here, or would that make people think, antsy here? I think it probably would, but I'm. I'm not uh, not convinced that'd be a bad thing, to be honest. Um, I think I, I certainly see the strength of the argument that says that given the quantity and given these circumstances, given that we can handle it here, the thing to do is go back to Australia and say, listen, we need to look at this again. The best thing to do, there's no transportation, we'll keep it here, we'll treat it. We're going to be treating other waste anyway that's going to go in the same kind of place. You, you'll pay us for that. That seems a reasonable thing. But I think what my view of it would tend to be is that Issues like this, that this whole thing, it's okay, we'll just put it over there. It always end up impacting these kind of communities. That never changes until people in, in the sorts of positions that we're in get made to feel uncomfortable by it. That's it. You know, that's the, at the end of the day, this that a resolution to this kind of thing, this merry-go-round doesn't come until comfortable people start feeling a bit uncomfortable. And I, I find myself kind of wondering about the, the broader impact. I think there'd be a huge statement would be made about 
governments, because the Australian government's been condemned over and over again for its treatment of, of Aborigines, of, of governments saying, we're not sending this waste back to you because we are not convinced that it will not be dumped in an Aboriginal community and we're not willing to be part of that. You can imagine what that is as an international statement. Mm. But if on top of that, that goes on to spark that kind of discussion about, right, well, what do we do with it? And to what extent have we been guilty of just, you know, trying to make sure it disappeared away from us and went to somebody who who was less able to fight back than us, you know, who was less able to raise these kind of concerns who were news readers and journalists and stuff like that, you know? Um, so is this a conversation that we should all be having? Because we are in this, um, you know sitting here with phones and God knows how many wars and things coming out of here. I've got all the lights <laughs> on in the house. Now, yeah. <laughs> My husband's going to kill me when he gets home and sees all these lights on. Um, but, you know, we use electricity at an astounding rate and that yeah. electricity has to be generated. Yes. And, you know, we have to get x-rays at the hospital. Um, and when you go to the dentist, you know, we are generating this stuff. Does there need to be more of a wider conversation about the impact of our usage? Yes. And I think if that is done through the, the prism of accepting that simply allowing ourselves to be part of a process that sees this stuff going back and being dumped in the doorstep of Aboriginal communities in Australia, then I think that is an additional bonus to that reckoning. I think that we could have the we could have that sort of public debate and that realisation that we're going to have to be honest about, as you say, the, the kind of material, and it's not just nuclear, but the, the hazardous, poisonous material that our lifestyle generates all the time. Mm -hmm. So we're not just talking about, you're talking about, you know, like the, the kids in, in like, you know, tech dumps in, in parts of the world have been poisoned by the mercury in our phone, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I think that would be a good thing to have that, that reckoning. And if alongside that, it, as part of that, we were also able to look at the way in which... Um, our world and, and our country in the past as well has treated groups like Indigenous Australians, um, then I think that that's a good thing as well. You know, it, as, And I, I wholeheartedly accept it's going to make people very uncomfortable. And I know there are going to be a lot of politicians not willing to have the conversation. And I, I fully appreciate that people are going to be annoyed at the suggestion of it. And I don't really care, to be honest, um, because I don't really think we make any progress. As I say, I, I'm, I'm increasingly, this kind of older I get, but I'm increasingly of the opinion that there are some very significant issues that are never going to be resolved until comfortable people are made to feel uncomfortable by the reality of the consequences of their lives. And this is one of them. Um, so I think that would be a, a good thing all around. Well, we're starting off by having this conversation right now <laughs> on the podcast. Uh, James, I, I know we've been keeping you quite a while, actually. That's all right. Um, just before we wrap this up, is there anything that you would like people to, you know, people who are listening to this podcast to take away if they're wanting to learn more about this? If there's one thing you wanted people to take away from this conversation, what would it be? Um, just just go and, go and see, if, go, and look at the, go and look up the reality of it. Um, if, if you're on Twitter, go and um, find Gary Cushway's Twitter account and read the thread he's got pinned to the top of the whole story of this. It's got links to, for example, a video made by Regina McKenzie on the land that we're talking about, where she explains it in her own words, where she talks about why it matters and why this whole issue matters. Um, if, he, if that was all that came from it, I think that that would be good. But it would be nice if it was, you know, if a handful of people after this care a little bit more, I'll be... I'll be 
these have been evenings work, put it that way. Absolutely. Well, we're having that conversation here now. I'm going to turn off a few more of these lights, try and uh, reduce my own, <laughs> <laughs> my own particular footprint. Uh, James, it has been great having you on today. If people want to continue following your work, you are on Twitter yes. at Mr. McEnany. Yes. Uh, am I pronouncing that right? I'm making a right uh, mouthful yeah, yeah. of it. McEnany. Mr. M-C-E-N-A-N-E-Y. It's one of these kind of weird, it was Irish, now it's Scottish kind of names. So. And now it's yours. So we will... Um, <laughs> We'll, we'll pop that in our social media feeds as well. Uh, James also has just written a very good book. It's, uh, you know, not content with, you know, t teaching people annoying the <laughs> Scottish government and, you know, bringing to light stories about uh, nuclear waste potentially getting dumped on the doorsteps of Aborigines. Um, he's also written a travel book, A Scottish Journey, um, which is available in all good, good bookshops. Just in time for Christmas. There's not that many sleeps left till Christmas. So oh. it's uh, <laughs> so it, it's good to, to pick that up if you can. Um, um, we're going to let you get on with your days. Thanks so much, everyone, for listening to the Out With podcast. And we will be back with you same time next week. Bye for now.